Listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of sex and murder. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Medical treatment is riddled with trial and error. No one patient is the same, and there usually isn't a perfect solution. Doctors know to expect this ongoing process. Dentists, on the other hand, often have a different approach. While dentistry requires the same level of open-mindedness and creativity as medicine, a trip to the dentist is more likely to result in an exact remedy. If your teeth are dirty, they'll polish them. If you have cavities, they'll fill them. If your bite is crooked, they'll adjust it. Dental issues are often precise and measured, and dentists will not stop until their patient's smile is perfect. Now imagine a successful dentist who believed she had achieved perfection in every aspect of her life. And after everything she'd been through to get there, that feeling meant everything to her. But suddenly, it was all torn from her hands. And if she couldn't have perfection, no one could. This is Medical Murders, a Spotify original from Parcast. For decades, thousands of medical students have taken the Hippocratic Oath. It boils down to do no harm. But a closer look reveals a phrase much more interesting. I must not play at God. However, some doctors break that oath, choosing to play God with their patients, deciding who lives and who dies. Each week on Medical Murders, we'll investigate those who decided to kill. We'll explore the specifics of how they operate, not just on their patients, but within their own minds, examining the psychology and neurology behind heartless medical killers. I'm Alastair Murden, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper, MD. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Kipper, and I'm delighted to provide Alistair with some medical insight into our case of Clara Harris who went from being a beauty queen to a successful dentist, but her success story came to a disastrous ending when she tried her hand at marriage. You can find episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. Today, we will be following the story of Clara Harris, a Houston-based dentist. In 2002, Her life crumbled beneath her feet. But rather than pick herself up, she brought everyone else down. All this and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. 
The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Clara Harris was born Clara Suarez in Bogota, Colombia. Her Catholic family was close, but her parents struggled to make ends meet. As a young girl, Clara inherited her father's dream of someday living in the US, where there was more opportunity, where things would be perfect. Unfortunately, Clara's father died when she was six. But she held on to their wish. She worked hard in school and eventually became a dentist in Colombia. But her sights were still set on America. Fortunately, with an education and established profession, there was less standing in her way. Around 1990, Clara enrolled at the University of Texas. She moved to Houston and earned her American dental license. By the summer of 1991, Clara was licensed to practice dentistry in the Lone Star State. That same year, she entered a beauty pageant for fun and won. She was crowned Miss Columbia Houston. By her late 20s, Clara was living her American dream just as her father had hoped, and it would only get better. She took a job at the Castle Dental Center in Houston. There, she met David Harris, a handsome orthodontist whose young patients loved his bright smile. Clara liked it too. She got to know David and learned he was a hard-working Southern Christian man from a hard-working Southern Christian family. His work ethic and faith appealed to Clara. He felt the same way about her. It was a match made in heaven. On Valentine's Day, 1992, the couple married. They celebrated with friends and family at David's favorite Houston hotel, the Nassau Bay Hilton. With a romantic foundation, they built a life together. In 1993, Clara bought a dental practice and brought in David as the practicing orthodontist. The duo became known as Dr. Clara and Dr. David. Their practice thrived on their charm and obvious love for each other. They catered mostly to families and children, so this dynamic put clients at ease. Clara and David became well-known across Houston for their thoughtful and attentive care. They built out an impressive client roster and eventually acquired seven other practices, just one of which brought in as much as $35,000 per month. But their expanding business wasn't only due to hard work and charisma. It was also based on their access to easy credit. As a Colombian immigrant, Clara qualified for favored loan programs. According to Stephen Long, author of the book Out of Control, that's why on paper, Clara owned 51% of their business. And when they took out a new loan to finance further expansion, Clara's name was likely at the top of the application. The Harris's lives were deeply intertwined. 
personally and financially. For a while, things were seamless. The couple moved into a mansion in the well-to-do suburb of Friendswood, and in 1998, they welcomed twin boys. As an emblem of their success, Clara bought herself a silver Mercedes S-Class. Clara had reached the zenith of her American dream, and it was perfect. But around the time that Clara gave birth to the twins, her relationship with David started to shift. David was engrossed in the latest business expansion, so much of the childcare fell onto Clara. They still worked together, but David spent most of his time in one office and Clara in another one, 50 miles away. The couple rarely saw each other during the day. They became less intimate at work and at home. They drifted apart, and people noticed. By 2002, David's daughter from a previous marriage, Lindsay, often helped out in his office. It was the 16-year-old's dream to one day join her father and Clara in their practice as a dentist herself. Just like in most businesses, it's common for doctors to hire their own family members. The difference here is that medical office jobs expose employees to patients' private health information, so they legally need to become HIPAA certified before they can start working. This is something that can be accomplished pretty easily and quickly these days via online training courses. A familial work engagement in a healthcare setting like this can be something that's very positive and constructive for all parties concerned. Of course, this depends on the personalities involved and how they end up meshing in a work environment. Lindsay was, at very least, getting a valuable behind-the-scenes look into a dental office. Lindsay learned a lot, including things she didn't expect. She noticed that her father paid a lot of attention to the secretary, a woman named Gail Bridges. In one incident, Lindsay saw Gail bend over seductively to pick up a file just inches from David, who was seated in a chair. Lindsay knew what that meant, and it wasn't good. Others around the office also noticed David and Gail's intimate behavior. Diana Sherrill, one of the longest tenured employees, caught on to what was happening. Diana felt especially loyal to Clara, so she wasted no time. On July 16, 2002, Diana pulled Clara aside at work and told her she thought David was having an affair. Red-hot rage coursed through Clara's veins, but she didn't want to act in haste. Instead, she and Diana went out for drinks to discuss the matter further. Clara pressed Diana. Who was David seeing? Diana told her it was Gail. When Clara got home, she gave her husband the cold shoulder. At first, David was surprised, but he quickly realized what was happening. He must have known that he and Gail had gotten sloppy about their affair. For a while, it had been easy to fly under the radar, what with Clara either working in a different office or caring for the boys. But now, he'd have to pay the piper. He prepared for a confrontation and racked his brain for what to say. But it may not have been love that motivated him. David literally couldn't afford to lose Clara. He depended on her. 
She owned the majority stake of the business they'd spent the last decade building. If they divorced, his career would take a serious hit. Until he could strike out on his own, he needed to persuade Clara to stay with him. He decided that a key first step was to own up before his wife could call him out. The next morning, David approached Clara and confessed he was having an affair with Gail. He apologized and begged her not to leave him. Then he fell silent, awaiting her response. Clara slapped David across the face. Screaming, she flew into an all-out rage. David quietly endured her wrath. Perhaps he felt that if he let his wife get it all out, she'd calm down and they could reconcile. But Clara was just getting started. Coming up, the trauma of David's affair sends Clara spiraling. What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Molly from the Parkhead series Conspiracy Theories. Each week, we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction, revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The Rise and Fall of J. Edgar Hoover, 75 Years of Roswell, The Tragic Death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 2002, Houston-based dentist Clara Harris learned that her husband and business partner David was having an affair with their secretary, Gail Bridges. David confessed to the affair when he realized his wife would find out anyway. He'd hoped that owning up would prevent a fallout, but Clara scorched the earth. The morning David broke the news, Clara went into the dental office. She grabbed Gail by the arm, led her to a back office, and confronted her about the affair. Gail denied everything. Clara scoffed, confiscated Gail's office key, then fired her on the spot. Over the next few days, Clara called Gail numerous times and threatened her life. It's unclear whether Clara's threats were serious. One thing is certain. She was desperate. She'd spent years cultivating the perfect life, and she wasn't going to let it slip through her fingers. That night, Clara racked her brain. She knew she needed help, so she asked her stepdaughter Lindsay to go to the bookstore and pick up a copy of Relationship Rescue by Philip McGraw. 
also known as Dr. Phil. Once Clara had the book in her hands, she read it cover to cover, underlining passages as she went. She formed a plan to save her marriage. Phase one, get help. The next day, July 18th, Clara arranged a meeting with David's parents. They were both devout Christians who did not look kindly on infidelity. She hoped they could talk some sense into their son. Clara stuffed David into their car and drove to her in-law's house. Once there, she told them everything. David's father scolded him for violating his marital vows, but said he could be forgiven if he repented his sins. Then the family prayed together. When Clara and David returned home, they had sex and fell asleep. Clara awoke the following day ready to move on to phase two, get hot. She went shopping at Victoria's Secret, bought a gym membership, and put down a deposit for breast augmentation surgery. It was certainly a drastic reaction, Alistair. Breast augmentation surgeries entail placing implants beneath someone's chest muscles or under their natural breast tissue, and other options like fat grafting. Some of the risks are long-term changes in breast and nipple sensitivity, implant rupture, or movement scarring and infection. The recovery for one of these operations can also be difficult and usually involves a few weeks of pain, bruising, and swelling. It's likely that Clara's doctor would give her time to consider all these variables to ensure cosmetic surgery was truly what she wanted. Sure enough, Clara's surgery wouldn't take place for some time. In the meantime, she continued on to phase three, get answers. That night, Clara asked David out on a date, and he agreed. Clara wanted to find a romantic piano bar where they could talk. They drove around for some time, but couldn't find one. Instead, they ended up at a sports bar near the airport. It wasn't what Clara had envisioned, but she didn't mind showing a little spontaneity. She and David got a table. Once they were settled, Clara explained the reason she wanted to have some alone time. She needed to know what had happened to their marriage. She told David that somewhere along the line, they'd lost track of their relationship. The gap between them needed to be mended. David gulped his drink, took a deep breath, and unloaded. He explained that when they first met, he saw her as beautiful, smart, and hardworking. She was a dentist and a beauty pageant winner. But 10 years and two kids later, he apparently saw her as his aging business partner. She was so consumed with work and the boys that his needs were totally unfulfilled. Then he compared Clara and Gail. They were both pretty, they were both smart, but Gail, he felt, was a better communicator. Clara interrupted him, contradicted him, and criticized his ideas. Gail never did any of those things. Plus, Gail was the perfect size to hold all night long. Clara, on the other hand, had put on weight. Clara glared at David while she listened, then took a pen from her purse and grabbed two cocktail napkins. She labeled one General Clara and on the other General Gail. She wrote down notes of everything David said. Seeing this, Perhaps David then felt more entitled, maybe even smug. 
because he made a final declaration. He and Gail had sex three times a day. Clara simply replied that she would double that number. It's not uncommon for patients to ask doctors how their sex lives can be enhanced or how sex may impact aspects of their health. While everyone's different, the frequency at which Clara planned to have sex comes with certain risks. Assuming she was an otherwise healthy woman, Clara probably would have experienced at least some pain at her proposed rate. This could have come from vaginal tissue tearing or bleeding, chafing and irritation, labial swelling, or an infection. However, the deeper concern in this case was Clara's mental health. Her intimacy plan was based in fear and anxiety, and the entire conceit was very sad. Unfortunately, Alistair, at the end of the day, patients generally make their own decisions in these matters. It's unfortunate that Clara's desire for more sex was based on David's infidelity. We don't know how Clara and David moved forward in their sex life, but we do know that the very next day, Clara entered the next phase of her plan to win David back. Phase four, get out of the office. In a staff meeting, the couple shared that Clara was retiring. According to writer Stephen Long, Clara later explained that she loved being a dentist, but the toll on her family had become too much. She was ending her career to focus on her husband and her children. Clara wasted no time. The very next day, she packed up the family and cruised down to Galveston for a beach day. Clara and David talked while the kids played in the sand. Once they were comfortable and the children were out of earshot, David told his wife, that he knew he needed to end things with Gail, but he said it had to be done in person. Clara permitted this, so David picked up the phone and called Gail. Clara listened while David arranged to meet Gail at a restaurant called Perry's on the evening of Wednesday, July 24th, just a few days away. Clara felt a wave of optimism. Her bid to reclaim her perfect life was working. Still, Clara had more cards to play. On Monday, July 22nd, Clara spent the morning researching private investigators. Phase five, get dirt. Clara didn't just want to spy on David and Gail. She wanted to dig up even more on the woman who seduced her husband. There was a rumor around town that Gail and her first husband divorced because Gail had an affair with a woman. This rumor was ignited by the two women's own husbands who likely wanted to ditch their marriages without losing much in the divorces. To aid their divorce proceedings, the men enlisted a firm called Blue Moon Investigations. Even though Blue Moon found no credible evidence of a relationship between the two women, the story spread. People all over town, including Clara, came to believe that Gail was a lesbian. And in Clara's eyes, that meant she couldn't possibly be attracted to David. And Gail was only after David's money. The notion that sexual attraction is a binary matter is a long outdated fallacy. Many would hope that Clara would be attuned to this knowledge as a medical practitioner, even if the topic never came up in her work as a dentist. The truth is, human sexuality is a spectrum encompassing a vast array of preferences that can change and evolve over time. 
The current medical consensus states that someone's sexual orientation most likely stems from environmental, hormonal, and genetic influences. If Clara had been more well-informed about this aspect of humanity, maybe she wouldn't have wasted her time and money trying to out somebody. But instead of considering that the rumor was false, or Gail was bisexual, Clara hired a PI from the same firm as Gail's ex, Blue Moon Investigations. Clara made her way to their office. Once there, she told her story to the woman at the front desk and filled out some paperwork. An assistant investigator was assigned to the case and planned to follow David and Gail to Perry's on the 24th and record their conversation. When that day rolled around, Clara nervously awaited a call from the investigator with an update. It wasn't until 6 p.m. that she heard back. And it wasn't good. The investigator had lost track of David at a traffic light, but it seemed that his scheduled meeting with Gail was on. Clara hung up and began to cry. She decided that she and Lindsay would head out to find David themselves. They grabbed the keys to the Mercedes and made their way to Perry's restaurant. But David and Gail weren't there. So Clara and Lindsay got back in the car and drove to Gail's house. There wasn't a trace of either David or Gail at the home. Clara was now in an all-out panic. She called the investigator, who didn't pick up. Clara racked her brain for other places that her husband might go. She had a sinking feeling. David may have brought his mistress to one of his favorite local spots, the Nassau Bay Hilton, where they celebrated their marriage 10 years before, on Valentine's Day. Clara and Lindsay raced to the hotel, but there was still no sign of David. At this point, Lindsay tried to calm her stepmother down. She suggested they go shopping and figure it all out the next day. Clara took a deep breath and agreed. But as soon as Lindsay put the Mercedes in drive, the investigator called back. She revealed that David and Gail were at the hotel. Clara hung up the phone and told Lindsay they were going inside. Coming up, Clara enacts revenge. Now, back to the story. On the evening of July 24, 2002, Clara Harris and her stepdaughter, Lindsay, tracked down Clara's husband and his mistress at a local Hilton. Once Clara's private investigator confirmed the cheating couple's location, Clara marched towards the hotel's front desk. She demanded to know which room David Harris was in. The clerk told her there was no guest under that name. Clara then asked for Gail Bridges' room, but she wasn't checked in either. The clerk had no intention of informing the enraged woman before him that an affectionate couple had arrived some time earlier, paid in cash, and provided no name. Clara was undeterred. She knew this hotel. She and David had spent one of their most important days together here. She turned and stomped out the back door, past the swimming pool to the employee parking lot, where she spotted Gail's car. She bent the windshield wipers and scratched the doors with her Mercedes key, etching the word adulterer into its side. Then Clara rushed back inside. 
Lindsay trailed her all the while, unsure what to do. Back in the lobby, Clara and Lindsay called David's cell phone. She was surprised when he answered, but veiled her shock and instead told him their son was sick and he needed to come home immediately. David said he was on the way. Clara ended the call, eyes on the elevators. Each time the doors opened and someone other than David stepped out, her blood boiled. Lindsay convinced Clara they should wait outside in the parking lot. Clara conceded. She wanted to ambush her husband and his mistress. They stood outside for a moment. Around 8.30 p.m., Clara looked through the glass entry doors of the hotel and saw David and Gail emerge from the elevator holding hands. She stormed back inside. Lindsay followed. Enraged, Clara closed in on the couple and turned to Gail, screaming, He's my husband! Then she tore Gail's shirt off and knocked her down. Clara punched the other woman in the face repeatedly. It wasn't enough. She grabbed a fistful of Gail's hair and drove her into the hotel's marble floor. All the while, David stood to the side, staring. Lindsay grew enraged. This was the result of his actions. The teen turned on her father. She hit him with her purse, screaming that she hated him. That must have been it for the front desk clerk, who hopped over the counter, raced across the lobby floor, and tried to pry Clara off of Gail. Until Clara hit the clerk in the face. More hotel employees sprinted to the scene and separated the two women. But Clara broke free and again knocked Gail to the ground and bit her leg, still screaming at Gail for sleeping with her husband. David finally took action, pushing Clara off Gail. When she hit the floor, the desk clerk quickly took the chance to escort David and Gail out of the building. Clara got up and one of the employees brought her and Lindsay to their car. Meanwhile, Gail was noticeably shaking in the aftermath of the fight and was seen stumbling along as she got to her own vandalized vehicle. Gail probably had a concussion based on the intense head trauma she sustained and her lack of coordination afterward was telling. Concussions happen when the brain experiences cellular damage, specifically the stretching and tearing of neurons. Given how many devastating blows she endured, Gail could have even sustained moderate to severe TBI or traumatic brain injury. This would imply cellular damage to the brain, like a concussion, but would also involve structural injury. Regardless, the extreme stress and excitement from a physical altercation would have flooded Gail's system with adrenaline and endorphins. It's nature's fight-or-flight response, and this physiological reaction obscures someone's pain receptors, increases their heart rate and blood pressure, and ultimately generates the strength needed to flee despite the injury. Given this, Gail's lack of balance suggests Clara's assault caused some real damage. But for Clara, it wasn't enough. She sat in the Mercedes with Lindsay beside her in the passenger seat. Clara started the car and put it into gear. But instead of leaving the premises, she sped toward the back lot where Gail's car was parked. Lindsay urged her to stop, but Clara ignored her. She turned the corner and saw the desk clerk opening the car door for Gail and David standing nearby. 
Clara stepped on the gas and barreled toward them. The desk clerk pushed Gail into the front seat right before Clara clipped the corner of the car, grazed the desk clerk's hip and hit David head-on, catapulting him 25 feet. Then, according to several witnesses, Clara turned around and ran over David at least twice more. When the car finally came to a stop, neither Clara nor Lindsay moved for a moment. Finally, Lindsay got out, ran to the driver's side, and punched Clara in the face. Then, sobbing, she dropped to the ground beside her father. Once her apparent shock wore off, Clara also stepped out of the car. She ran to David and took him in her arms. At this point, David was most likely taking his final breaths. Between sobs, Clara reportedly said, David, look what you made me do. It seems that Clara experienced what's commonly known as a blind rage. When someone feels this kind of unchecked anger, it's processed by the amygdala as a threat. This ultimately triggers a sympathetic nervous system response, which initiates a flood of cortisol, also known as the stress hormone. The adrenal glands also secrete large amounts of activating hormones, like adrenaline and norepinephrine, resulting in a chemical dance that can completely shut down rational thought. Extreme anger manifests differently depending in part on someone's personal neurochemistry. I've had patients with this sort of blind rage before, and in my experience, the best treatment is a combination of talk therapy and medication. Unfortunately, doctors weren't able to save David. He died shortly after the attack from his crush injuries. In the wake of his death, Clara claimed it was an accident. The weight of a car rolling directly over someone's body multiple times would cause severe trauma, crushing many of their bones, vital blood vessels, and internal organs. The forensic pathologist noted that David's chest was asymmetrically crushed with multiple rib fractures and a destroyed left lung. Without having been on the scene, I can say pretty confidently that the chances of anyone surviving an ordeal like this are slim to none. The amount of internal bleeding and lung impairment alone would sadly dictate a very quick death. David's injuries would have painted a clear picture in regard to Claire's intent, and the aftermath of her madness must have been a grisly sight. Aside from the bodily evidence, witness accounts contradicted Clara's claim, including that of her own hired investigator. Clara had paid her investigator to record her surveillance of David and Gail. Instead, the woman ended up capturing parts of Clara's rampage. At trial the following year, no juror mistook Clara's attack on David as anything other than what it was. The jury convicted Clara of a sudden passion murder. Essentially, they ruled that Clara had knowingly murdered David with her car, but had not premeditated the act prior to taking the wheel. The judge sentenced her to 20 years in prison. Even after her conviction, Clara stood by her story, claiming it was an accident. In 2005, 
Oprah Winfrey interviewed Clara in prison, and shockingly, Clara still said she didn't intend to kill David. Lindsay shared no such delusions. Following her stepmother's murder conviction, she filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Clara and received roughly $2 million from David's estate. Clara's twin boys were also awarded a portion of their father's assets based on the court's ruling. Lindsay went on to sue the Nassau Bay Hilton Hotel and Clara's private investigator for what she argued were their roles in David's death. That case settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Lindsay's victories didn't stop Clara from fighting for her freedom. She applied for parole four times, but was rejected each time. Finally, in 2018, after serving 15 years of her sentence, Clara was released from prison for good behavior. She returned to the Houston area where she was banned for life from practicing as a dentist. Clara's story is a disastrous example of how messy personal lives can destroy trust and confidence in medical professionals. Ultimately, the revocation of her license came down to a decision made by the Texas State Board of Dental Examiners, who has the ability to invalidate or suspend the license of any dentist who's committed a felony. I think it's safe to assume that their decision was made pretty swiftly, given how vicious and violent Clara's actions were. It's hard not to imagine how differently things might have gone for her if she'd only had the right support. As a medical practitioner, business owner, parent, and betrayed wife, Clara was under immense pressure. Even though Clara could no longer practice medicine, she was able to reunite with her sons. By the time she was released, her two little boys were all grown up and attending college. No doubt Clara thought they were perfect. Thanks for listening to Medical Murders. And thanks again to Dr. Kipper for joining me today. Thank you very much. For more information on Clara Harris, among the many sources we used, we found Out of Control by Stephen Long extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Medical Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brendan Hawkins, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Medical Murders was written by Kay Adam Bloom, edited by Sarah Batchelor and Maggie Admire, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Chelsea Wood, and produced by Joshua Kern. Medical Murders stars Dr. David Kipper and Alastair Murdoch.